Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, will you pray with me real quick? I don't know what I would do if you said no, but we're going to pray. Um, <laughs> Uh, God, thank you. Um, thank you for this space. I'm grateful for Cape and Auditorium and just the fact that we get to be in here, God. Um, it's a gift, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm just going to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would penetrate this place, um, that you would penetrate the hearts of each person sitting in their chair, um, that tonight would be... Um, Only you. That's my prayer. Um, that this this whole night would be only about you, and that we would not that we would walk out the doors a changed person, um, walk out the doors carrying less than we carried in. Um, that's my prayer. And thank you for your son. Amen. Okay. Hi. Hi. Sorry, I haven't looked at you yet. I need to look at you, kind of. Um, so tonight's going to be a little bit different, obviously. I have a couple of friends up here with me, which I'll talk about them in just one moment. Um, we are um, up here because I am a person who learns best through story. Um, I like to hear stories about other people and their lives and how that has um, interacted with scripture, how people have taken scripture and applied it to their lives, and this is what it is meant for them. That's how I learn best. So I'm going to bring that to you tonight through some of our stories. Um, but first, we need to talk about our turning point for the night, and I get Abraham and Sarah. Um, don't know how much you know about them, but I'm going to give you just a really brief um, just a really brief snippet of who they are and what their story is in this particular um, part of the Bible. So, super quickly, Genesis 15, um, God gives Abraham a promise. He says, hey, I'm going to give you a son. That's what he says, okay? And then we fast forward to, um, no, sorry, I'm not fast forwarding yet. That comes later, hold on. Um, still in Genesis 15, we have God is talking to Abraham, and he says to him, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a lot of descendants. I'm going to give you land, and you, you are going to be abundantly blessed. Abraham's response in verse 4, he, he says to him, what good are blessings if I don't have a son? Strange question, right? Um, but Abraham was in a place of what good are all these things if I don't have anybody to pass these things on to. And then in 15.4, the Lord says to him, no. You, because he, Abraham said, I'll just give him to my servant. I don't have a son, so I'll just give all this stuff to my servant. And God said, hey, actually, no. Um, your servant will not be your heir, for I, you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. So now we're going to fast forward to 16. And ooh. Guess what I'm going to try tonight? I've never tried this before. Okay. I know. Um, so Genesis 16, 1 through 5. 
Now, Sarah, I'm going to call them Abraham and Sarah, okay, just for sake of confusion. They are Abram and Sarai here. God changes their name in Genesis 17. But for sake of confusion, I'm just going to call them Abraham and Sarah. Um, Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. Now, keep in mind, just a chapter before, God said, I'm going to give you a son, right? But now they're trying to figure this out on their own. Um, So Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with, sorry, I said I was going to do that, Sarah, with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abraham, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. Okay, so this is, this is a story that at face value a lot of us can't relate to. Um, we can't relate to the depth of sin that comes in this story, right? Um, but we can relate to the desperation that they were feeling. It's like, God promised a son, but I don't want to wait. Um, this showed their lack of impatience, um, lack of patience that they didn't want to wait for when God's timing would play itself out. It's like, actually, I have an idea, so I'm going to go ahead and do what I think is best, God, and I'm going to move this along a little faster according to my timeline. Um, they were okay with sinning. I mean, we're not given a whole lot in this story. I would like to think there was more of a conversation than, hey, go sleep with her and, may, and get me a baby. I would like there was like, I would I'd like to think there was a little bit of dialogue, right, of, really, you want me to do that? Um, but we don't, we, don't get that, uh, we don't get that in the scripture we have. And then this showed their complete lack of trust, too. God had directly spoken to Abraham. He had directly said to him, I'm going to give you a son. They got impatient. They got the son by sinning. And that showed their complete lack of trust. I believe, you guys, that God wants us to be a people of complete surrender. You guys, those of you who have been around me before, you know that I say this a lot. Like, we, as human beings, we walk around like this, with both fists closed. I've got my stuff. I'm holding on to my stuff. And God, you can't have it. Or maybe you can have this much. But I'm still going to hold on to these things. I'm not going to completely surrender to you. Um, But that's what Abraham and Sarah needed to do, right? They needed to be able to have hands wide open and trust that God was going to fulfill the promise that he gave to them. So for me and us, um, we want to share our own stories of our um, lack of surrender, our lack of trust that we've had with the Lord. So a long time ago, because I'm a little older than you, um, Ben and I met at Eastern Illinois University which he has said before, at a college ministry similar to this. And when we graduated, we um, moved back home, got engaged, got married. And right after we had graduated, Roger, who was the campus minister there at the time, called Ben and said, hey, I want to hire you. Would you be interested in coming back and working here? Um, Initially, it was like, yeah, that would be so fun. We just left, but to go back and to do ministry stuff without classes, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a whole lot of fun, right? Still have friends there. Yes, let's go do it. That's Yes, that's what God wants us to do. Um, well, it took a year 
uh, for the board to figure out how to pay Ben and how to pull all that together. So after the year had gone by, we got the phone call, hey, we're ready for you. And I said, uh, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go anymore. Um, because we had reestablished family relationships. We were in a young married small group. We were back at a church that we loved. Ben was um, in a place that he was going to take over his mom's business. There was a lot of financial stability sitting out there for us. So to make the choice to dump all of that and go do ministry where there is not a lot of finances, just so you guys know, um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to anymore. I didn't want to give all of that up. So Ben was like, no, this is what God wants us to do. So we took two weeks to pray separately. There's a whole lot in that that I could tell you, but that's... uh, for a different day. Um, and during those two weeks, I knew that um, I could manipulate that situation because Ben had said, if God, you know, I want you, I want to know what God's saying to you. And so I would tell God in my prayer time, listen, we're not going. <laughs> so I need you to tell me that we're not going so I can tell him that you said that. Um, God never did that. Um, and I was pretty frustrated with him, and I knew in my heart that this is this is what God had called us to do. So we went. Um, I went begrudgingly, and I mean that. Like, I really didn't want to go. And when we got there, um, I had to work full-time, which is not something I desired. I had to work a job that I hated, um, that I was treated very poorly, but we did not make enough money to make ends meet at all. And so for three years, you guys, I hated living there. Um hate is a strong word, I realize, but I mean it. I hated, I hated living there. Um, Not my marriage, not my husband, because Ben was so good about sending me to the Lord with how I was feeling. So it was never between us. It was, it was between me and God. We did not get along for three years. (laughs) Um, And Ben during that time would say to me, say the word, we'll go home. Say the word, we'll go home. If that's what you feel like God is saying, we'll go home. (sighs) Okay, so I'm back in my conversations of, hey, God, you need to tell me that we can go home because I want to go home. I'm, I don't want to be here. Um, he never did. And it was really hard because I knew I could manipulate that, right? I could easily go back and tell Ben that's what the Lord was saying. And during those three years, um, I, like, tight grip, tight grip on the fact that I just wanted to leave. I was not willing to surrender any part of my life there. I could not understand why God had called me there. I knew why Ben was there, but what the heck am I doing here? We had a full-time female um, campus minister. I felt like I had nothing to offer this place. All I am is working so you can do your dream job, and I was just mad. I was just mad about it. Um, anytime I would catch a glimpse of maybe ways that God could use me or finding any amount of joy in where we were. I truly, you guys, I would say these words. I would say, nice try, God. You're not tricking me. We don't like it here. And I would, I would, (laughs) my fists were tight. Um, And I was not, I was not going to surrender to that because I didn't, I felt like if I liked it there, then we would never get to leave. And so I was not going to like it there. Um, Then one summer, I was pregnant with our first baby. I had a girl in our ministry come to me and say, hey, um, I'm going to be a small group leader this year, but I'm also student teaching, so I can't fit into Tammy's schedule and was wondering if you would disciple me. I laughed at her. (laughs) I really did. I just laughed and said, that's ridiculous. I have nothing to offer you. Um, 
but she didn't give up. She pursued me again and said, no, actually, I, I really think there's a lot I could learn from you, and I would really like to meet with you. Would you be willing? And I was like, okay, whatever. This is going to be so stupid and such a waste of your time. <laughs> um, but God used, I mean, that was one of the best relationships I had at Eastern. Um, and with that, we became very, very close. And years later, I've remained close in her life. Um, years later, she was going through some very significant um, marriage trouble. And I was her first phone call. Um, I was up in court with her. Um, her husband spent a significant amount of time in prison. Um, her and her kids were at my house a lot um, for us to minister to her. And in that time, I kept thinking, man, <laughs> if I hadn't have let go and allowed our relationship to form, I wouldn't be able to be with her in this. Um, also in that time, because I surrendered a little bit, like I'm going to say it was this much to that girl, okay? I still had a grip here and a grip over here, but we still don't like it here, God. This is fine, but I, we are not staying. Um, I decided on our, okay, so our leadership team meetings at Eastern were at 945 on Tuesday nights. That's super late. Um, and I decided, okay, I'm going to do a Bible study in my house for um, girls who aren't leaders. And the first night I opened my home, 45 girls showed up. And I said, funny. <laughs> funny. You're funny. Um, and I, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And I cried, but I also was like, cute. You're cute, God. That's funny. Um, and then I also was able to lead a group of engaged girls and walk, through, walk them through a lot of things leading up to marriage, which was also one of the favorite things that I've gotten to do. Um, and if you would have told me that, like, so, so here I am, like, I'm, I'm loosening my grip, okay? It's still probably like this, but I'm loosening my grip, and God used me in ways that I never could have dreamed there. I was never paid there. This was all just on my own time. Um, and then finally God said, hey, I think we can go home now. Um, and the biggest reason I wanted to leave there is we had Sunday morning service there, and that became very difficult as our family grew. After Levi was born, that became extra hard. Um, and God gave us the permission to go. And if you would have told me in the beginning of that that I would cry when I left that place or that I would fall in love with college ministry, I would have said, you are stupid. I will not. Um, and now 26 years later, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And so I'm grateful for God's patience with me. I'm grateful for his pursuance of me. He didn't give up. He didn't get mad at me. He waited. These are my friends, Dustin and Bethany. And they also have their own story to share. I'm going to pass this to Dustin. Hey guys, so uh, as Jill said, my name is Dustin. I'm on uh, pro staff here, and I just started uh, back in May. I was an intern, uh, yeah, during year of 2019, so basically right when COVID started, um, but we don't talk about that. So anyway, um, yeah, so I, just to kind of think about how, how have I experienced this sort of white knuckle posture and submitting, having to submit and loosen my grip. Um, I've had uh, just countless stories of just having to do that, choosing to do that. Um, uh, and 
I think for me to kind of tell this overarching story, I've got to go all the way back to like eighth grade, I think. But here we go. Um, I, so does anyone, like when you first came to college, like did you guys know exactly what you wanted to do? Like what job you wanted? To? Okay. I, we got one. Per, two? Joel? Okay, people, you got brave. Nice. Okay. Um, I was one of those really like weird kids who had like a 15-year plan for my life when I was in eighth grade. Why? <laughs> That's weird. Um, but yeah, my plan was I was going to study psychology, counseling, uh, get a master's degree, and eventually own my own firm and work on contracts with the local, state, or federal government. As an eighth grader, who, th who thought that? Who thought that way? Uh, but I did. Again, I was weird. Um, anyway, so yeah, the plan to like get there, right? I was going to go to ISU, double major in psych and criminal justice, um, and work towards, yeah, building uh, my sort of counseling empire, I guess. Uh, that's annoying. But anyway, I, uh, high school Dustin, eighth grade Dustin, early underclassman, college Dustin, he was annoying. I wouldn't be friends with him. Um, but, but you, oh, okay, cool. That's nice. She said she'd be friends with me. So anyway, um, okay, where, where I was, okay, going along this path of, yep, I've got my plan. I was going to school. Like criminal justice ended up being my minor, but anyway, I didn't double major because I wanted a life. Um, and it just anyway, um, I know some people can do that. You guys are crazy. Um, anyway, I uh, here's where God uh, interceded, and I would I would have said then kind of disrupted my plan. Um, and I was sitting back there as a freshman. Sorry, I just pointed at you guys, but that's where I was sitting, and. Uh, yeah, as a freshman, I didn't know Encounter did missions. Um, so uh, when I was just sitting back there and just expecting it to be a normal um, encounter, someone preaches and we have worship. Um, but it was it was Phil up here, and he was just unveiling all of the, the mission trips that they were going on. And he went through the domestic trips, and then uh, he was like about to unveil the international trips. I uh, so was just sitting there like, okay, cool. Um, I, I don't know, never been on a mission trip. Freshman Dustin was annoying, again. But I, as I was sitting there, I heard these words. I didn't feel like my thoughts, okay? Like the, what I heard was Cambodia, 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 three times. Okay. That's weird. Um, and then Phil hit the next slide, and it was Cambodia. Like, they were going to that country for a mission trip. That's exactly what I did. Like, I, God, why? Are, it's like over three grand. What are, you, what are you doing? I don't have that money. Like, that's not a part of the plan. Um, and a part of just me wrestling with that, like, again, never been on a mission trip. Okay, why not go big, I guess? But, um, yeah, being just poured into by the staff here and helping me see that, like, God was pulling me towards that, going on that trip. Um, long story short, just with that mission trip, what I learned 
was God, God had for me this purpose of pouring into people that were younger than me. And I got that when I was a freshman in college. That doesn't make sense. I'm like 12. <laughs> like, anyway, um, so I, in my just small-minded self, I was just thinking, okay, like I'm going to help lead a camp when I come back from the mission trip. Like is, I mean, that that's probably it, God. Okay. That for a while, that's what I thought it was, um, what he meant by that. And it wasn't until I was close to graduation and they, uh, um, Encounter has their internship program. You get, I'm sure you guys are aware of this. Or Anyway, um, I, they didn't have applications at that time, but they, they had asked me to, um, to pray, to think about it. What, what would that look like for me to possibly do that? And... That was not a part of the plan. <laughs> I really wrestled with that for a long time. Um, still planning on going to get my graduate degree in counseling and psych- like psychology in that realm. Um, but then this like weird, but campus ministry. No, <laughs> like, no. Um, but in that like wrestle, I had with God, like, I was thinking, okay, do I, do I get a, like, master's in divinity degree? That's a really fancy word for, like, preaching master's degree. Um, with a, an emphasis on pastoral care and counseling. That's what I was like, okay, God, but, like, what if I do this? You know? Um, I could still counsel. Um, and... Or just stick with counseling and feel like I'm rejecting God in that or accept uh, to do at least a year of the internship. And now that I'm looking back and thinking about just me wrestling with that, I was trying to barter with God. Like, okay, what if I do this? Right? That was me just like loosening my grip with just like one or two fingers. Um, And yeah, ultimately... Um, having to surrender to that, loosen my grip with that. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I can just do it for a year and just go right to grad school and counseling. Um, Annoying, right? Um, Anyway, I went through that year of the internship, and then I went right into being a child and family counselor in Peoria. Um, I did that for a year and a half, and... That was, that was an amazing experience. Um, what, what I had gotten from that job, one, was their just phenomenal training, but it was, the first training was when I was able to see Jesus in all of just the counseling different modes um, that we would utilize with our clients I, like I said, I just couldn't help but see Jesus a part of how we were helping people heal. Um, and I thought that was cool. That, ju- that just made me more excited about the purpose that I thought I had for my life. Um, but it, it came from, again, working there for a year and a half uh, because I uh, completely lost my passion in that job. I was angry, frustrated, didn't 
really care about trying to do the best that I could as a counselor, and that truly sounds terrible. Um, I was doing the minimum. Um, it came to a point where it just felt incredibly salesy because I had to bill insurance. I had to meet a quota for that. Um, I had to care more about that. That's what, it, that's what the message like I got from my managers. Um, I eventually left there because I wasn't in that space. I wasn't able to focus on the people I was that I had a responsibility for to care for them in that professional way. Um, I lost my passion for counseling amidst me going on that job. I was trying to pursue a counseling degree um, and uh, yeah, for a master's and I dropped out. Um, I didn't, I hated counseling. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, I was trying to think, okay, what in the world could I do? What job would I go to? Um, I drove 50 minutes to get to that job and 15 minutes back home. That's a long drive. Um, there was an opening back home uh, for a dual diagnosis counselor at the state women's prison, the largest state women's prison. And that would have been an 11-minute drive, and um, billing insurance wasn't a thing, and I could do training whenever I wanted. I could make uh, my meetings and group therapy exactly how I wanted. Right? I just wanted that freedom, that autonomy with that sort of treatment. Um, that was something that I was like, okay, that would be so much easier. What a lie. <laughs> I felt incredibly duped uh, going into that job, working for the prison. Um, yeah, my clients were great, but the space was not. I'm sure you guys can just imagine. If you want stories about prison, I will tell you. You might get nightmares. Uh, I'll just let you imagine that. Um, anyway, I struggled an incredible amount being there where I thought, God, you wanted me to be here. Why am I struggling so hard to be here? Um, it came to a point where I was so miserable that I, um, yeah, was finding myself um, doing some not good things, drinking for the wrong reasons. Um, yeah, was not a good space for me. And in me wrestling with that, I couldn't quit because that's where my insurance and benefits were coming from. Um, for myself and my wife, I just couldn't quit. That would not have been responsible at all. Um, we needed what I was getting out of that misery. So I felt like I had to stay there, and I did, until I had another job lined up. But um, after feeling duped going into that dual diagnosis counseling position, there was no way that I felt I could go into another counseling sort of gig. Um, yeah, I, again, lost passion for that. It was, it was really hard. So in my prayer, that really small-minded prayer of God, just make, make this misery worth it. Um, make something beautiful out of this. And what I thought God was going to do was just, I don't know, bring along this client that I was going to impact in such a big way. That sounds selfish and also, again, small-minded. But what I got from uh, my, time, my time being there was a light bulb that I feel like God just turned on 
Um, and it was me understanding why I was not meant for that sort of space, why I was not meant for the purpose that I thought I had for my life, um, and then understanding, okay, this is the kind of space that you should go into. Um, so then I felt like I could start applying for other jobs. Now, we all know what doom scrolling is, yes? So I wasn't doom scrolling social media. I was doom scrolling Indeed. Like, that's how, that's how like, <laughs> miserable I was. Joel gets me. Okay. Um, now, I saw this, this job uh, just posted for crisis counselor, uh, a suicide crisis counselor. And I was like, there, I, do I even want to entertain that? Um, and it was, I worked at that job for nine months, the, the, the prison job for nine months. So I was doom scrolling for nine months and saw that job posted for nine months. That's got to tell you that they can't hold somebody or that place is like awful. You don't want to work there. Um, but after that light bulb switch, I was like, okay, what's, a, what's the harm in applying? So I did and got an interview, um, and turns out they just needed to hire like 150 people. Um, so, okay, makes sense. I don't, I'm not going to feel duped. Um, I, okay, I got the email from that place after I applied, and they were like, yeah, we'll have an interview for like 15 minutes, and I laughed at that uh, because I wanted so much, like, a lot of time to ask questions so that I didn't feel like I was duped going into this other job. And um, I ended up working there. Uh, they, that job, guys, I tell you, checked all of the boxes of what I wanted, all of them, and it, they weren't duping me. <laughs> I feel like I should stop saying that word. Um, anyway, when I got there and went through the training and just being around those people um, that I was work going to be working with, I was having a blast. Um, it was an amazing time. Um, yeah. That, anyway, I'm reminiscing. It was fun. Um, after about a month of training and maybe a month or so into the job, I was sitting at my computer, um, real comfortable, had three monitors, my own desk, we had air conditioning and heat. The prison did not. Y'all, I was living the life at this job. And um, I got an email from Ben. Um, and it said, hey, Dustin, we've got some exciting things at Encounter that's, that's happening. Would love to meet up and, and talk with you. And immediately, I'm, I don't know if I said this out loud or not, but I was like, Ben, what are you doing? <laughs> Like, you've got to know that I just got into this job, and, and, like, and I'm loving it. Uh, I've still, like, I've stayed in contact with staff in between this time of, like, being an intern and where I was at then. Um, so I was thinking, like, Ben, no, <laughs> stop. But anyway, I met with him. Um, I, he and I had lunch. I stepped away from work. We had lunch at a McDonald's. And what he was describing to me of then trying to acquire the 210 and all of the plans that we have for that and what we can do, what possibilities come from that. As he was just explaining the overarching plans, I'm just bawling in McDonald's. Like, okay, 
Um, why, why was I just crying at McDonald's? I, uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. So when I left that prison gig, applied to one job, and I got it very fast, got into the like shift that I wanted very fast. I was exactly what they were looking for. It happened, again, very fast. When I thought PATH, so that was the organization I worked for for the 98 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. When I thought that was the answer, um, where I had gone through the misery and gained, and there, there was fruit that came from that, um, and going into this space where I felt so comfortable and enjoyed what I was doing and got excited to go to work. Um, I thought that was the answer. But as all of the things that Ben was saying, what I realized was path that job was a rescue from, yeah, from that prison gig and the counseling job before that. Um, and that coming back to encounter, um, uh, working full time was actually the answer. Everything that he was describing were really the boxes that I need checked. Um, and in me, so my wife and I trying to pray through that and discern and talk with people that are much wiser than us. Um, that was not exactly a wrestle as much as it was when I was trying to figure out should I be an intern. Um, it was, God, we know that this is what you want. Um, we're taking time to help make sure that that can be a reality. What steps do we need to take to make that happen? Um, that posture was very different. By this point, my sort of 15-year plan has been thrown in the garbage, uh, very sadly. But I'm okay with that. It needed to be. Um, for me to go through all of that hardship and look back and see that God was so faithful through all of that, even though it was incredibly hard for me. Um, and to be here, to continue to pour into people that are younger than me, even though I'm not much older than you guys, um, graduated in 19. But that moment where I sat back there, where God was like, you're going to go to Cambodia, and I'm going to tell you your purpose. I'm now realizing that that purpose was so much more overarching than what I had thought then. Um, that encounter, when Ben was telling me, and I'm crying at McDonald's, that encounter was the answer. God knew that way back when I was a freshman sitting there, but he knew that way before, too. Um, he is incredibly faithful, and... It took a lot of surrendering for me to understand that and see that, um, yeah, not to say that it gets more comfortable just surrendering. It can be hard, uh, but that's a practice that we have to choose to do. Um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for saying all that. Yeah. Um, wow, you guys have me reminiscing up here because... I have heard Joe tell her EIU story quite a bit, and oh, sorry, I always I never hold the mic close enough, and then Austin has to mess with the sound. Okay, um, and it is just incredible, Joe, to always just hear the way that you and the Lord like wrestled and really went back and forth. And um, 
I was an intern with Dustin. And it's funny because Dustin just said, I'm not that much older than you guys. I graduated in 2019. And I was going to say, I am so much older than you guys. I graduated in 2019. <laughs> and so I do. I feel very old in here, but that's okay. Um, it's young at heart, I guess. Um, my name is Bethany. It's good to meet all of you. Um, some of you were around when I was an intern way back in uh, the COVID days. And it's actually, I've told everyone that I've talked to this tonight, it's pretty special to be in the room with you guys because um, the last time I was actually in Capen was March 2020. They had just said that ISU was going to be shut down for an extra week of spring break and then we would come back. And we were here packing up the band equipment and taking it out the back door. And I was like, well, I guess I'll be back in like two weeks. And it's been three and a half years. So pretty emotional to be in the room tonight, especially talking about surrender with you guys. Um, so Joe sent me this story. And it is a doozy of a story. Um, she mentioned earlier that some of us might not be able to relate to the exact actions in the story of our scripture tonight, but we definitely can relate to the sentiments. And so um, I relate a lot to Joe, I relate a lot to Dustin, and now I'm going to tell you guys a little bit how I relate to all of the people in our story tonight, and then just a few different random illustrations in my life about surrender and God's power. And so it might feel a little bit discombobulated. If there's a single nugget of wisdom in any of this for you, I'm sure God will help it land. But um, we're going to go back to the scripture for a second. Um, so the first person I will talk about in this scripture is Sarah, who is Sarai in the text. Um, she wants to get at the heart of one of God's promises so desperately that she comes up with the worst plan imaginable and causes herself so much pain in the process. And you guys, when I tell you I do that a hundred times a day, I try to access God's promises through something other than God, and I just end up experiencing pain. And so um, I think Joe's going to put the scripture up a little bit later. But something God has promised me in my life, and he's promised you and yours, is that he will love me unconditionally. That is a promise. It is in scripture. God promises me unconditional love. But sometimes I'm like, well, I'm feeling impatient for God to give me that love. Or, you know, I don't really feel loved unconditionally from you, God. So I'm going to circumvent your plans, and I'm going to come up with a Hagar-style scheme of my own and put into action what I think will get me that promise quicker. And so whether that's I want to feel love from my friends, and so I go to them and I try to get them to, like, tell me how great I am or tell me how good of a friend I am or, like, just tell me how much they need me in their life because I think hearing those things will fill me up. Or turning online to whether it's, like, Instagram or I'm not going to lie, I... This is so embarrassing. I feel like what you were just saying. Um, I am in law school, so right now it's all about LinkedIn. So where my LinkedIn girlies are at. <laughs> but it's like, if I want unconditional love, I am like, okay, I want people to look at my professional accomplishments and think like, wow, she is so great. We love her. Because not only is she in law school, but she's also down to earth. She's like the people's people. 
and I look for it that way. Or I look at my relationship, and I want to be filled by that, and, and the compliments, and the gratitude, and all of that. But you guys, whether it is like your friends, or your job, or your relationship, or your parents, or your grades, it will not fill you up. It is not going to. And then you're going to be disappointed when it doesn't. You're going to be mad about it, exactly like Sarah was. She was like, well, I came up with a plan, and I'm the one who got hurt. And so, I mean, that, I, just, I relate to her so much by putting into action this terrible plan and then facing the consequences of it. Um, Abraham, in two ways, I relate to him in this story. One, wanting something that's promised so badly, you listen to people's bad counsel. Um, so Sarah comes to him with this plan and is like, what if my maidservant, like, you took her as a second wife and then she could bear you a child? And I don't know why he was like, what a great idea. Like, I just, I don't know. But applying my, I think sometimes we call it like sanctified imagination of like what I know about scripture, I could imagine that he was so desperate for that promise that he was vulnerable to poor counsel. Because you guys, you know a bad idea when you hear it. You know bad advice when you hear it. But sometimes you want something so bad, you're like, yeah, yeah, that works for me. And then you end up with all of this pain and brokenness. And the other major way that I relate to Abraham is the scripture, not up here right now, but earlier when God is promising Abraham um, land and he's promising him all these, these things. And he looks at God and says, well, what good are your promises if I don't have a son? And that just lodges in my soul, you guys. Um, I look at God all the time and say, I point out one shortcoming in my life, and I'm like, what good is anything that you are doing if I don't have this or if I still have this? And so for me personally, right now what that looks like, because it's looked different at different times, um, after I finished the Encounter internship and then right before I went to law school in the months in between, um, I got some like pretty disappointing medical news about just how my body works, and I got diagnosed with a hormone disorder called PCOS, and that looks really different for different women. And for me, it has a lot of implications about my body. And so it's like I sweat when I don't want to, and I have more hair on my face than I feel like a girl should have, and like I'm never comfortable in my own skin because I'm constantly grappling with that because I used to look a lot different before I got diagnosed. And so I have so many incredible things in my life, but the enemy has my ear in a way where I'm like, God, what good is anything you promise me if I have PCOS so I don't look like an Instagram model when I want to? And that's so just, that misses the point of the God of the universe. That I look at him and say, like, what good is your salvation and your unconditional love and blah, 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 blah. What good is all of that if I don't have what I want? And that's what Abraham was doing. He's saying, God, what good are your promises if I don't have this specific thing? And there's a difference here where God then promises Abraham that he will have a son. And God hasn't promised me that he's going to take PCOS away. 
but I'm not called any less to surrender. And that's a difficult space for me to sit sometimes, too, is knowing that, like, I am promised certain things in Scripture, but they may not be what I hope they are. And so there's just a lot of wrestling there of, like, what Joe and Dustin shared of, like, feeling like you're letting go and thinking you're, like, completely hands open, but really just having, like, one little finger, like, that much. It's like, you're not letting it go. Um, And then I'll move on to Hagar. My heart really hurts for Hagar in this story. Um, Somebody else's sinfulness pulled her into a mess, and then she responded with her own sinfulness. And if that is just not the everyday walk in a fallen world, um, responding to somebody's sin with sin, I, I've been Sarah in this situation where my grappling, my grasping, my sinfulness brings somebody else into it, and then now they're in sin with me. And I've been Hagar. I, I've been deeply wounded by other people's sinful actions and then responded in sin. It tells us that, like, Hagar looked at Sarah with contempt. So she's brought into all of this mess and then responds poorly. And I think what's so beautiful about everything in this story is that none of it, none of it, has anything to do with God's goodness or God's faithfulness or God's power or God's ability. Like, Sarah messed up in about the biggest way you can mess up and God delivered on his promise. And he is the faithful one. It's not us. It's not on us. And, and every day that I look for validation or I look for things just outside of the Lord and his promises, that doesn't make God's promises invalid. Like, my wickedness is not more wicked than God is good. And for me, the biggest thing I'm struggling to surrender in life right now, it's not like a job, it's not like a living location, it's not a relationship, it's my lies. Like the lies that I walk around believing every single day, I will not give them up. (laughs) I'm like, God, you cannot speak truth over them. Like, I am sinful, and I am awful, and I'm the scum of the earth. And God's like, I would like to speak scripture over those things, and the blood of Christ is paid for all of that. And I just don't let him. And I just, I shut him out, and I just refuse to surrender those things to the Lord. And it's exhausting. It is awful. And when I do have those moments of coming to the Lord and saying, like, God, this is yours. Like, truth belongs to you. I cannot claim it as my own. Those are moments where I get to see the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. And those are moments that I get to be in communion with Christ and him reminding me that this is not about your sinfulness, Bethany. Like, if it were about your sinfulness, then it would be about your sinfulness. The Bible would just be a record of everything you've done. But it's not. It's the story of Jesus Christ who came to pay for all of that. And he wants to save me. He wants to transform me. He doesn't want to make me a little less self-conscious. He wants to radically give me a heart transplant and change everything about my existence for his glory. But I've got my fists closed. I'm like, no, (laughs) I'd rather be on LinkedIn. It's like, I don't know what that is. So it's just... 
It's exhausting, you guys, to carry the things around that the Lord is asking you to put down. And um, when I was a student, Ben sat up here and he told a story about one of his kids. I don't know which one, or maybe I do and I'm not telling. No, I don't know which one. (laughs) Um, Playing with a power tool, and he took the power tool away. And the kid was, like, very upset about it because I wanted to play with the power tool. And Ben said to them, I don't want you to bleed like I have bled. And that's what I want to say to you guys tonight. Like, I don't want you to come up in the school of hard knocks the way that I have. Uh, My second semester, senior year of college, was miserable. It was one of the worst, like, five months of existence that ever happened. And, like, anyone on staff could tell you that. And I thought that everything was going to shambles. And I wouldn't surrender anything to the Lord. I was only in two classes. I got C's in both. And I still, and I tell you this about God, not me, I got a full tuition scholarship to law school. It's not about you. (laughs) Like, it's not, like, my grades were not qualified to get me that full tuition scholarship. Like, that was God. So... I don't want you guys to bleed like I had to bleed to learn some of these lessons. And I hope and I pray that there are things that you can put down before your white knuckling just ruins your hands completely. I think that's what I got. Hey, band, you can go ahead and uh, come up and load. So I have had more tonight, but I'm going to drop it because I feel like so much of what I was going to say has been said. Um, So I'm going to blast through the screen here behind me, see how fast I can do this. Amazing. I love it. I'm so good at this. Okay. Um, Actually, don't look at that yet. Um, So what I want to do tonight is you have heard uh, four really stories of surrender for, for, um, ways that we need to allow God in. And, um, all of us have used our fist and our open hands. And, um, those of you in this room, I just want to ask the question, what are you holding on to? Um, what are you holding tightly to? It could be a really good thing. It's not always bad things we're holding on to. We can hold on to really good things, but God says, I want all of it. I want you to give me all of it. Even the good gifts that I have given you, I want you to give them back to me because everything belongs to me. So sit with your hands wide open and say, God, here are my feeble plans. Here are the feeble things that I own, that I want, but I trust you with them. I trust you to give give to me, and I trust you to take away from me because I know that your plans are best. I know that you have the best in mind for me, and it may be completely different than what I think and what you think. And I know you guys have experienced that before. Um, So things I want you to do, I want you to grab the paper under your seat and a pen. Um, And as you do that, I just, I want to list off some things that maybe uh, you need to write down tonight. And I want you in this next um, little bit of time to really talk to the Lord about what he wants you to surrender to him. It might be your dreams and your future. 
um, what Dustin talked about. It may be that you're a planner, a planner of next week, a planner of 10 years down the road. Give it up. Hands open. You might know what you're doing tomorrow, but also walk around hands wide open. God, interrupt me. I'm ready. What do you need me to do? And it might just be going to class like you planned. It might be something totally different. But walk around with your hands wide open to your plans. It might be a relationship. Even if God takes it away for good, like I believe this relationship is good for me, but God, you know best, and so I'm surrendering that to you to do with what you want. Your major, your future job, your money, bleh. That's something we hold on to tightly because it feels so scary to let go of it. Will you actually take care of me, God? Will you? He will. Your lies and your doubts that you believe about yourself or maybe you believe about the Lord. Your mental and emotional health. We hold on to that sometimes. We hold on to that as our identity sometimes. Let go. Let God have that health. And sometimes, you guys, we have to surrender these things daily. Sometimes it's by minute. Sometimes it's, you can have it. No, you can't. You can have it. No, you can't. Um, God's so patient. His love doesn't run out on us. Um, He just wants us. He wants us to be with him. And so as you're getting these things written down, what I would like for you to do, this is going to be messy, but that's okay. We have baskets up here, this side and this side, as well as communion. Um, We practice open communion here. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to take. Um, But what I want for you to be prayerful about is as you walk up here and you surrender that to the basket, surrender it. Let it go. It's in that basket. Walk away. Do not pick it up before you leave again. Leave it there and then pick up the blood of Jesus and be so grateful for what he's done on the cross for us so we don't have to carry these things around. We get to experience the complete freedom of, here's all my stuff, God, do it, use it. I want, I want your glory. I don't want mine. We're, blah, we're feeble. We don't have a lot to offer. God works through us. His Holy Spirit transforms us, and that's what we need, what we need to be about. Yesterday, when I was um, preparing for this, I ran across this friend of mine, Jason Sanderson, um, some of you may know him, but I just want to read this, and you can, you can look at it if you want to just listen. Our little kingdoms. I desperately want things to go how I want them to go. I get caught up in entitlement, pride, confusion, frustration, complaining, heartache, and a myriad of other self-centered thoughts and emotions, all because the central focus in any of those moments is my little kingdom. I have a hard time fathoming why God operates the way he chooses, yet therein lies the issue. I'm not even the God of my own little kingdom. God is the God of every kingdom. With that, he's so loving that he will consistently and with intentionality destroy our little kingdoms over and over and over again, all for our good and for his glory. My hope is to remain so focused on him that I take steps and consciously choose to destroy my little kingdom before he has to. Join me in crushing our little kingdoms today.
Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.